there's a couple ideas in improv where you actually have to focus more on the other people in the scene and make them look great. And you cannot think you are more important than anyone else. Hi there, everybody. Thank you so much for joining Mindscaping Podcast. In this episode, I'm welcoming Clay Drinko, the author of Play Your Way Sane, which is a book about mindfulness, but it's really in the form of short, fun, realistic games that are inspired by improv. Hi, Clay. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jessica. I'm really glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Can you tell the audience a little bit well, a little bit about yourself first and what your background is. My background, I mean, good question. <laughs> uh, I'm from a farm in Ohio. I, you know, I moved to New York City, you know, that age old story of, you know, wanting to be an artist, an actor. And so I went to New York City uh, to get my master's degree in performance studies. That was kind of my hedge, you know, if the acting thing didn't turn out. And I was a professional actor in the city for over a decade. Uh, I also went back to grad school again to get my PhD in drama and theater studies. I went to Tufts University. And that's where I really, you know, about a decade ago, started uh, piecing together this theory about what was happening uh, to people's minds when they were doing improv comedy that was very special and very mm -hmm. beneficial than at other times in their life. Um, so that's really where that work started. And um, after that, after I got my PhD, I was supposed to be this expert in mindfulness <laughs> and, and being in the moment. And I, I, I say this in the book, I felt like a giant hypocrite because I was, I had just, uh, a six-year relationship had just ended. And during grad school, my dad died, my grandmother died. You know, the, it's the whole rule of threes where, you know, three awful things happened. And I really was trying to like, you know, pick up the pieces and, and keep it moving. So I was really struggling as far as um, mental health goes, um, right. trying to sort of re rediscover who I really was and what I wanted. And so I knew all this stuff about how to be in the moment when I was improvising. And I, I really wasn't doing that in my everyday life. And that's what started me on the quest that became this new book, which is how do I take everything I know about improv and apply it to my life so that I can be more mindful, calmer, a better listener, a better friend, a better collaborator, more creative, like all the things I love about improv. How mm -hmm. can I, how can I add that to my everyday life? So that's where that all started. You, and you have a yoga practice, correct? Like a, a long time yoga practice. I would love today to say that I have. <laughs> uh, well, just... you used to have a practice on the mat. Correct. Like you used to do yoga asana. And I think you were mentioning that that's when you really, you know, found some space between your thoughts and and recognized your mind body awareness, that For kind of sure. thing. And I just wonder how much that informed this, this, rev this kind of realization of what's happening during those moments of improv, because you were kind of primed for it in a way. I really was. Yeah. And, and the reason I'm joking is I, I still do yoga, but this week and the week before <laughs> I have not been doing yoga. Um, but I, <laughs> I came to yoga, um, 
kind of through my work as an actor. Uh, those things really um, go together. There's a lot of sort of new agey type approaches to the performing arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was definitely a part of my performance studies program at New York University. We were doing a lot of yoga, a lot of sort of Indian-inspired um, methods of performance, which had a lot to do with mindfulness. And I remember one of the, ex- one of the exercises was to move um, imperceptibly slowly. So, so the game was that half the class was on one side of the room, half the class was on the other side. And we had to move imperceptibly slowly. And our goal was to, I, I feel like the goal, oh, in one of the exercises, we had to switch, like we had to take a, an article of clothing, like we all had sort of prop clothing on. So I might have to take, you know, John's hat as I'm moving imperceptibly slowly across the room and, and then make it to the other side. And so, you know, John is going somewhere else trying to get some other piece of clothing plus the teachers are starting to put like acting block you know acting cubes in our way and chairs in our way <laughs> so it was this really fascinating exercise because we we're, were and just like yoga you know we're, we're so used to operating at a certain level of of consciousness right where we wake up we check our email we get our work done and so to do something like yoga or to do something like this torturous activity <laughs> where we had to cross <laughs> the room you know because it, it took like four hours, you know, it was really brutal <laughs> and, and it's not an exaggeration and you'd be covered in sweat. And it was a really interesting experience because your feelings were so heightened. And to me, that's related, you know, in the same class, we did a lot of yoga as well. And to me, it's a really similar experience of just sitting with that, right. Of, of instead of just saying like, I quit, I can't do this. I don't like this feeling. Uh-huh moving at a different frequency really invites in emotions um, and, and sensations that you can't get in another way. And so, um, you know, I know you asked me about yoga, but I feel like it's all really connected. And, and the first time I did yoga, um, you know, I was living in New York City as part of my junior year study. I call it study away because it's still in the United States. And I was... Um, really just looking for new experiences. And, and somebody that lived in the college house said, I'm going to this yoga class. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what that is. I feel like Madonna does it. So like <laughs> Madonna's pretty cool. So I'll try it. Right. And, you know, that was 20 years ago. And I did it thinking it would kind of be a, a good workout. You know, I was pretty self-absorbed and not super interested in, in spirituality in any way. And by the end of the class, I just felt... Um, completely different than I've ever felt. And it's really a similar experience that I had with improv, right? Like having a really in the moment, in the zone improv performance is like an out-of-body experience. Or it's like tapping into an alter ego or, you know, your brain is really operating in in such a different way that it feels either like a heightened version of yourself or a, a totally different self. And so I think all those things are connected and um, all those things have really prompted me to, you know, be interested in and research like what's going on in those amazing moments. Right. I, I love this exercise about going imperceptibly slowly. Um, I sometimes like to practice and teach yoga asana going really, really, really slowly like that and holding things for a long time mm-hmm. too, which is you know, typical of traditional Hatha Raja yoga, hold things for a long time and go inside and see 
what your body reveals because there's also, I think you were saying that there were emotions and feelings and, and things coming to light kind of coming inside of you while you're going slowly. But I think we also access things that are stored inside of us, emotions and memories and feelings that we haven't been looking at. And when we slow down that much, you have to sort of start facing things. And that's the point where you, you get to decide, you know, you get to decide, do I want to keep that? What do I want to do with that? Is that even me or is that from someone else? Like, where did I pick that up? And I think we could only have that, or maybe one of the main ways that we can have that is through that kind of slowing down. Because I think how we are physically throughout the day is so habitual that it's, you know, really going to be surprising if you have any sort of breakthrough, (laughs) like metaphysical or you know, mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. breakthrough throughout the day because you're doing the similar thing that you did yesterday and the day before, you know, to infinity. And so I think to slow yourself down through yoga or meditation or, you know, a mindfulness walk, it really takes that out of the equation. It takes that habitual physicality out. And for me, I'm, I'm really then left with my feelings and my thoughts in a really... Uh, sometimes really scary way, sometimes really profound way if I if mm-hmm. I stick with the exercise. Yeah, it can be a little raw to see what comes up and what kinds of thoughts are set into patterns, which ones are repeating, how they make you feel. Yeah, when we slow down and when we, when we change our scenery, this happens uh, for me a lot when I travel too, especially internationally and go to places I've never been. Everything you're taking in is brand new. It's novel. And you have a different sort of reaction. That's part of what I talk about in my my first book. I had an academic book um, that really was, I think, the first academic book to put together a theory of what's going on in your brain when you're doing improv comedy. And part of it is that idea of everything's novel when you are improvising because you have to pay attention so much to these, you know, imaginary chairs and imaginary <laughs> tables and, and your partner, you know, it says that his name is Belinda. So you're like, okay, you're Belinda now, <laughs> you know, like you, you really have to pay attention and everything's right. brand, brand new. And it is like going on a great vacation, right? You really have to pay attention. And what does that do? It really slows down time and allows you to fully live in the moment uh, in a way that is, is much harder to do in your everyday life because, you know, when I'm driving to my daughter's school to pick her up, like I'm not paying attention to anything, right? I'm, I'm just doing. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, it, you know, I think there are these parallel strands in improv, uh, in, you know, in jazz improv, in yoga, in some of these other mindfulness exercises and activities. Um, but a big part of it is that idea of either things being novel, so you really pay attention to them, or I think what I try to do in the book is um, pretending that things are novel or pretending that you are someone who's seeing the world in a way that feels novel, right? So kind of tricking yourself to have that feeling, even though you're in the same old humdrum day (laughs) that you always are. (laughs) Right break into something a little bit new, shift up thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I like about, so I'm reading your book. I'm about halfway through. Um, 
And what I love the humor. I love your writing <laughs> style. Of course, that just makes it makes it more fun. I mean, it definitely illustrates that mindfulness doesn't have to be born from a strict practice and mm-hmm. definitely doesn't need to be boring for you to to reap benefits from it. Um, but what I really, really like about it is that it's focused on something that a lot of practitioners of yoga and meditation don't normally look at or look into so deeply, which is taking taking the practice off of the mat into real life experience of like connecting, raising your awareness of your own reactions to the things that you perceive in the outside world and other people, and, and also just becoming more aware of the connection, the interrelation of everyone. Mm. Yeah, I feel that when I, when I take a yoga class. So, you know, I, I'm thinking of one teacher... Uh, I'm doing virtual classes, you know, in in my local little community here um, to try to support them and you know, hopefully get Excellent. back back in the <laughs> studio soon. And um, so, one of the teachers I really like, you know, in the beginning, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't immediate drawn to, immediately drawn to her style, but then I started getting really into it. And her whole thing is about, you know, you know, moving your body, and isn't it amazing that you have this body and and in the beginning, I was like, Ugh, I don't know about this. This, <laughs> this feels pretty like hippy dippy for me. And then, uh-huh. I, then it hit me. I'm like, oh, like it, it is really cool. <laughs> right. Like, mm. like when I do this with my body, like I, I'm, I'm becoming really curious, like, what does that feel like? And, and so I started really, you know, sort of embracing her style of just thinking it was really cool to just have a body, right? Because then it gets rid of all of my expectations of like, if I don't nail the bird of paradise, like I'm a loser, <laughs> um, which is how I sometimes get, you know, cause I'm a type A person. And so I, you know, in a yoga class, yeah. you know, looking around being like, Ooh, I used to be able to do that. I'm going to really hurt myself so that I can do it today. Um, Been there, done that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, and then the other part of that is, this idea of, you know, having, you know, some sort of, um, oh my goodness, I forget. What is it called in the beginning of it? Oh, setting your intention, setting your intention. So this idea that this intention is going to like go beyond the class into your day. Mm -hmm. I love that idea. And I've done yoga off and on for 20 years. And I don't think I've ever actually done it when the class was over. There's something about uh, yoga for me where it is, in the space and in that time. And for whatever reason, when I leave the yoga class or I, you know, I roll up my mat, no matter how great the class was or how great my intention was, <laughs> or, it, it goes away. I don't know how to translate it throughout the day. And so I think yeah. it was important for me to create these exercises that were specifically for the throughout the day part of your life. You know, it's, you don't go to an improv class for, for what I'm trying to do now. It's, it's, you sprinkle this stuff throughout your day. That is what it's intended for. Um, and, and I think the other part of what you were talking about is that finding your place in the connection of all people. Um, Mm -hmm. I think improv has something really important to say about that, where you can't be the center of the universe. You can't be the diva, um, you cannot be the star. Like the
So those two things really go together for me. Mm-hmm. And w- when I started thinking about what that means for real life, it, to me, felt really revolutionary. Um, if I really wake up not trying to be special or better or any of those things, but really just making it my mission to be of service to other people, to make other people look great. And a natural consequence of that is I feel better. I'm happier and I end up looking better, right? Which is sort of the the shallow side effect. It's like, I end up looking better. (laughs) But I think that feels really um, bold and revolutionary to me, especially where we are right now in the world and with politics. It feels really um, wild to say, you know, don't think about yourself. Don't put yourself first. Don't, you know, follow your dreams at any cost, right? It's really like, how are you reaching out to the people you love, making sure they're okay, making them look good, making them smile, right? And I I think if the focus was more on that, our interconnections would be so much stronger. Absolutely. It, It all just reverberates. It comes right back. Yeah, exactly. we practice that. Um, I I have to say I got to uh, game number sixty in your book, sincere smiles, mm. and I I really resonate with this because I actually just started kind of spontaneously doing this a few months ago, and I was thinking about why. So when it came up in your book, I thought, why? What brought it on? Why did I just start doing this? And I realized that you know there's so much tension and anxiety and grief and all of these experiences that are are really surging through society right now that you don't know. I mean, you never knew, but after 2020, like you really don't know who's dealing with what. So to start off any interaction with a brief smile and eye connection, I realized it gave me a little pause, like it gave me a little space to to settle into the interaction, but that it let them know too that I, you know, I'm coming to you. I want to connect with you, you know, in this open, receptive way. I also teach a face yoga class. And my background is is behavioral neuroscience as well as yoga and meditation. And I've just always been fascinated by the fact that uh, your expressions on your face have neurochemical reactions that affect your mood and your nervous system. So this this all brought things around for me and made me think about that. And, and the way that I ask my students to sort of relax their face, relax the space between their eyebrows, or even put a slight smile on their face when when they're coming to any sort of tense point, whether that's in breath work or meditation or asana or out in the world, like having a difficult conversation or approaching something that you don't want to do. If you can put that first, if you can, you know, place a smile on your face, then you're already, you're opening up opportunities that wouldn't have been there. You're setting the tone. Setting the tone, yeah, I think is a great way to look at it because as someone, you know, I make it really clear in the book that I am, you know, and probably will be forever more, a sort of chronic overthinker, a a fairly (laughs) anxious person. Um, And so for me, when I see someone, when I'm, you know, maybe want to go and talk to someone 
who isn't smiling, it's probably not going to happen. That's going to be really yeah. hard. I'm going to get really <laughs> in my head with it. Me and too. So I think, Me too. <laughs> and I think a lot of people are that way. And so mm. I think, uh, you know, leading by example and saying, well, I don't want to be that. Like, I, I don't want somebody to be afraid to talk to me, you know? Like, I don't want, because it's kind of a, a way to prescript uh, social interaction, right? If I have a scowl on my face and someone's looking over at me, well, I probably prescripted that we're not going to have an interaction, right? And that's mm-hmm. very safe. Uh, I have protected right. myself, which sometimes is great, right? Like, not smiling can sometimes be very good and saying no <laughs> can sometimes be very good because yes. there are ways to protect ourselves and, and set up uh, really clear boundaries. But then there are a lot of other times where I personally want to feel brave enough and be brave enough to invite in the uncertainty. Like if I smile at that person, it might be scary. They might come up to me. I have no idea what they're going to say to me. Like that's scary. Mm. Um, and but it's the kind of scary for me that's really important. Um, I'm I'm on the you know I'm 40, so I'm like at the top of the top of the hill now. <laughs> I'm on my way down now, <laughs> and so I think you know on my way down, I really um, at this point in my life know that relationships are everything. Um, you know I. I, I exist really in terms of my relationships with other people. And so I really want to spend my next however many years um, stepping out of my comfort zone and not just saying, oh, I'm, I'm an overthinker and I'm pretty socially anxious. I'm going to stay at home and, and binge watch, you know, whatever. Um, I don't want to do that. I want to step out of my comfort zone when it feels important to me so that I can really... Um, for the first time in my life, I think, have really healthy friendships and say yes to people um, and and not sort of quit on friendships when it feels difficult. Um, I, I really want to make relationships the most important thing because I think it is the most important thing. And, and, and I hope the book serves as a fun way for people to practice that as well, to practice their listening, to practice, you know, jumping into that uncertainty with other people um, because I think it's important and, and, you know, I hope other people think it's important. Absolutely. I, I believe that they will. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I have to believe that, right? <laughs> I have to stay yeah, positive. I hope so. <laughs> um, how do you think that mindfulness in this way, taking it out into everyday interactions and human connection, how could it have ripple effects you know, across the whole world, across society and the way things are done. What do you I think of, yeah, I think of it first, um, I think of parenting, right? Like a a big Mm -hmm. part of my parenting is about being mindful and about teaching my daughters to be mindful. Um, And so really I'm teaching and learning at the same time because I didn't grow up this way. I, you know, my parents were not sort of swinging hippies in the seventies teaching me about <laughs> mindfulness. Um, they just weren't. And so I'm learning this stuff at the same time that I'm teaching it and I'm seeing, um, the benefits of it. I'm seeing how healthy my relationship is with my daughters. Um, and of course that that's a lifetime. So there's a whole nother human 
you know, two more humans who are going to have this experience of being more mindful and more self-aware when it comes to their thoughts and feelings and, and what's going on around them. And, you know, they are going to affect other people in that similar way. Maybe their children, maybe the people they're dating. And mm-hmm. so I think in a really clear way, um, if you really walk the walk and you really focus on being a better listener and a better collaborator and a less egocentric person, um, you know, it clearly ripples out. And I try not to think about, um, you know, the whole world. I, I try to focus on my little tiny, uh, nook in the world. Um, and I, I want that nook to, you know, my little neighborhood to have neighbors that really support each other and listen to each other and can disagree with each other. Um, and I think having a neighborhood like that, you know, probably affects other neighborhoods and people come in and hang out with us and see how amazing that feels. And, and, and that's the kind of ripple effects that I'm really interested in is, um, you know, not getting bogged down with trying to change the world and just knowing that I'm changing the world by changing my own personal narrative. Well said. Well said. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> I think it, I think it can start. It it should start at you know a small level. It should start with yourself. It has to, <laughs> and implementing change and change in behavior and perspective and and then I think naturally there's an outflow. Of, you know, relationships become more mindful. Interactions. You know, we're less judgmental. We trust people more, and then maybe we feel supported enough to pay more attention or go after what we're most passionate about because we feel that support then. And we feel that, that sameness that, Oh, I think everyone has dreams and desires and they're all kind of similar. And I think also knowing that, you know, that is when things are going well, you know, sometimes, you know, you are just doing your best, you know? And so sometimes... How did you know? (laughs) (laughs) I know I am. I have a a colicky baby who, like, (laughs) does not sleep anymore um, and is incessantly crying, right? And so, like, so so today, I'm I'm not thinking about, you know, these rip... I mean, I am now because I'm talking to you. But, like, (laughs) once we get off the phone, I'm going to be thinking about... um, you know, how do I comfort my baby? Like, how do I really show up for her and and remain patient uh, even when, you know, I'm exhausted and I haven't slept and she hasn't slept and, you know, no, the, the how, there's discord in the house, right? And so how do I keep showing up for my family and myself? Um, and that's it. That's all I can think about right now. And that's okay. I, I think beyond that is super aspirational and, and great. So, hopefully the colic will end soon and then I'll be back out in the world being a good example for my neighbors and for my friends and, you know, being more positive, being a better listener. Um, but I do want to say sometimes you're just trying to get through the day oh, and that's yeah. okay too. Sometimes you got to fake it till you make it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes that you, sometimes you can trick yourself and, and you kind of get into a better flow, a better mood. Things are working better. You're feeling better physically. That's what I've realized. Sometimes if you can trick yourself. And I think it, it's the power of our ma- imagination, which I'm sure you know better than most. <laughs> yeah. And also leading with our values. I think right now I'm not really thinking in terms of games. Like I'm not like, oh, you know, Zoe's crying for the... <laughs> 
10th hour. Like, let's play a game. What game can I play? Right. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not in that headspace, but I, I am trying to lead with my values and say, I want to remain patient. What are, you know, I want to remain curious, right. About how this is affecting me and how she might be feeling and what she might be wanting in this moment, you know, because, you know, she's, she's just over a month. She can't really communicate. Oh. I mean, she can't at all communicate her mm-hmm. wants and needs, but you know what? A lot of grownups are like that too. <laughs> and so for me, I'm just using this as, you know, more practice, you know, trying to, to be as patient as I can, as curious and, and helpful as I can. And that's just all I'm going to do for, you know, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months. And that's okay. Right. Realizing that's enough is, is the practice. Mm, Yeah. And also, uh, I think it's really important to not wish your life away, even when things are difficult, right? Like right now, this is life. Like, you know, I have a colicky baby and it's my job (laughs) to be the primary caregiver. Like that, that's happening. I don't want to sort of fast forward and not pay attention to what's going on and, and be distracted and always on my phone. Like I, I want to be in this moment and feel all the feelings, even though it's difficult. I think that's the challenge. And I think that's something I'm interested in trying to walk the walk with, you know, for the rest of my days. Mm. Well, I can't wait to hear more about that <laughs> as you get through this next year or so. <laughs> Truly. Well, they say colic ends at about the three-month mark. So hopefully I only have two more months. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> well, then there'll be something else eventually, but <laughs> of course, you'll have all this practice under your belt. Um, so when could this book be an actual deck of cards? <laughs> so I you can that. pull yeah. one out and... And say, this is the one for the day or for the week, or here's one for each family member to practice. I just think that would be um, a really cool way to present your material, too. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, I hope my agent and my publisher and, and all other, you know, all other interested parties are listening. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that, you know, uh, I envision more from the whole play your way sane concept, you know, that's a big idea in my book. A major part of the book is the fact that it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be sort of gamified. And so I think cards are a great natural extension. I think an app would be a great extension of that, you know, where you answer a couple questions and it goes, beep, boop, boop, pop, like, here's your game of the day. Sure. Um, And I can check in like, Hey, how are you doing mm -hmm. with, you know, paying attention to X, Y, (laughs) Z? Yeah. Absolutely. I think uh, to have a really interactive, you know, I I don't know much about what are they called? Apple watches, smart watches, whatever. (laughs) Um, My husband just bought himself one for his birthday. (laughs) Um, uh, But I could see, you know, the whatever that is, the smart watch really interacting and sort of telling you like, hey, not only is it time for you to stand up, but, you know, it's time for you to try this game. I love it. Well, until then, people can just grab a copy of your book and flip through it. So where can people find your book or find you on social media? Where can they follow what you're doing? Playyourwaysane.com is is my hub. That's my main, main area online. So there's a whole bunch of links to different places that you can buy the book. 
Uh, one that I'm especially happy about is my local bookstore bookstore up here in the Hudson Valley will sign you or uh, will send you a signed copy of the book anywhere in the United States, which I, I love they're doing that. Um, and so you can do all that through playyourwaysane.com. Um, on social media, let me see, on Instagram, on Twitter, and Facebook, it's all uh, backslash playyourwaysane. And I think that's it. Yeah, the book is everywhere. It's on Amazon, you know, Barnes & Noble. You can get it. Uh, you can request it at your local bookstore. Uh, it's everywhere. Amazing. I hope it spreads like wildfire and I look forward to experimenting with some of these games myself. Uh, thank you so much, Clay, for coming on. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. And everyone, please check out Clay Drinko's new book, Play Your Way Sane, and take some of these really fun improv-based mindfulness activities out into your everyday life, out into the world. Thank you so much, Jessica. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Clay. I want to thank the audience for tuning in for this episode of Mindscaping. And I hope you found some great pointers here in this talk. And I hope that you'll join us again soon. Until then.